Good Sunday morning, and welcome to Forgiven, the weekly radio broadcast of Northeast Baptist Church of Danbury. We're happy that you tuned in today, and we hope you will find the program beneficial to you. Now, here's our pastor, Joe Vassin. It's so important as you read the Bible that you understand the context of what you're reading. Because the truth is, you can find one isolated statement in the Bible to support just about any foolish opinion that you want to support. The classic, ridiculous example of supporting a foolish opinion with Bible verses taken out of context is Matthew 27, verse 5, which says that Judas went out and hanged himself. And put that together with Luke 10, 37, which says, Go and do thou likewise, and you have the Bible encouraging suicide. Now, I told you that was a ridiculous example. But the fact is, there are people all over the place trying to make the Bible support their foolish point of view. And so they take isolated statements out of their context in that very same way, string them together with other isolated statements taken out of their context, and pretty soon you got a truckload of false doctrine, like some nutcase telling you the precise date that Jesus is coming back. The Bible's not a difficult book to understand when you sincerely want to know what it teaches, when you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you to teach you, and when you read it and study it in its clear, simple context. But when you take a verse or a statement out of its context, you can start believing some pretty wacky stuff. Today I want to give you a great example of how error and misunderstanding can arise when we fail to understand the context in which a Bible statement is found. As you read the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus Christ, it's very clear that Jesus makes a distinction between being a believer in Jesus Christ and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a believer is what gets a person to heaven. Being a disciple is what gets a person to live a life that's pleasing to God on this earth. Every disciple is a believer first, but not every believer chooses to become a disciple. Becoming a believer is a one-time step of faith. When you become convicted of your sinful condition and you turn to Christ for salvation, it's a one-time instant decision that changes your life. Becoming a disciple is an everyday, lifelong process. It never ends. Being a believer is like an on-off switch. You're either a believer or you're not. There's no such thing as a partial believer. You're either saved or you're not saved. But being a disciple has many different levels, many different stages, many different degrees. Being a believer is what gets you to heaven. Being a disciple is what earns you rewards once you get to heaven. The distinction is abundantly clear as you read the Scriptures. And yet I'm amazed at how often I hear Bible teachers confuse the two. I'm amazed at how often I'll hear someone use a discipleship verse to teach salvation or vice versa. One of the great dangers of the pop culture Christianity that has permeated our society is the tendency to make it difficult to become a Christian and easy to be a disciple. Teaching a salvation that's essentially by works and then turning right around and making discipleship a self-centered, humanistic pursuit of our own worldly dreams with a little bit of magic God dust sprinkled on top. It's exactly the other way around. Getting saved is extremely simple. Living as a disciple is extremely difficult. But the confusion 
is a result of taking statements out of their proper Bible context. Let me give you an example. The Bible says in John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Well, it couldn't be any clearer that that's talking about how to become a believer, how to be saved. Ninety-eight times the Gospel of John alone uses the word believe, telling us how to receive eternal life. Romans 5 repeatedly calls salvation a free gift. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says that salvation is the gift of God. A gift can't be earned. It can't be purchased. A gift can only be received. Getting saved is simple, as simple as receiving a gift. God made it simple because he wants everybody to be saved, 2 Peter 3.9 says. But now, here's a discipleship verse. Matthew 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There, Jesus was telling believers how to be disciples. And the bar is set much higher for becoming a disciple than it is for becoming a believer. God makes it very simple and easy to be saved, but he makes it very difficult to be a disciple. A lot of modern teaching sort of combines salvation and discipleship. And the end result is that it's harder to be saved than God makes it, and it's easier to be a disciple than God makes it. Notice in the Bible that multitudes believed on Jesus, but only a very few followed him. You see, you don't become a believer by following Jesus. I've been in churches where the preacher said, if you want to go to heaven, just become a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you please show me in the Bible where it says that you go to heaven by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? No, you go to heaven by believing on Jesus Christ. And you please him here on earth by living a life of discipleship. I want to focus our time this morning on looking at just how tough a thing it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not something that you do lightly or casually. The statements that Jesus makes about discipleship are tough statements, hard statements. So much so that in John chapter 6, many of Jesus' followers stopped following him. People who were believers decided that they were not cut out to be disciples. Nowhere does Jesus describe more succinctly what it takes to be a disciple than in the verse I read a moment ago, Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're going to spend just a few minutes today examining that verse to see just how challenging it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we'll begin right after this.
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you've ever made the mistake of thinking that that verse tells us how to be saved, I would urge you to study your Bible more carefully. That's not a salvation verse. That's a discipleship verse. And to read it as a salvation verse will lead you to great confusion. When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he was telling believers how to become disciples. Volumes have been written about discipleship by multitudes of great Christians because discipleship is a lifelong, never-ending pursuit. But there are four clear ingredients of discipleship laid out in this one verse, and I want you to take a look at them with me today. The first ingredient of discipleship is surrender. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, He's talking about making a choice. Notice the word will. A man who's becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is exercising his own will. He's making a conscious decision. And what he's deciding to do is to go where Jesus is going. If any man will come after me. The first step to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to decide that you want to go where Jesus is going. To surrender to his will, his purpose, his destination. That's completely contrary to what you'll read in your average Christian self-help book or what you'll hear in the average Sunday morning happy face pep talk. Modern Christianity would lead you to try to get God on board with your plans, to try to get God to go with you to your destination. Bible Christianity, discipleship, 
demands that you scrap your plans and you surrender to going with God to his destination. If you're serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, your first step is to surrender to God's destination. God, what do you want? I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Adoniram Judson grew up here in New England in the late 1700s. His father was a pastor in several different places, including Plymouth, Massachusetts. Adoniram went to college to become a teacher. While he was in college, he had a roommate that really got his mind racing with dreams of partying and seeing everything the world had to offer, not being fenced in by the strict lifestyle that his parents had taught him. Adoniram grew more and more fascinated with his roommate's fantasies, so much so that when he left school and went to start teaching, he wasn't content in the classroom. He had the itch to get out and taste all that the world had to offer. His parents tried to persuade him to seek God's purpose for his life, but Adoniram wanted no part of that. He wanted what he wanted. He finally decided to leave teaching, and he traveled west from Massachusetts over to Albany. And then from Albany, he took a boat down the Hudson River to New York City. He wanted to get involved in acting, and he was so excited to be in New York where the theaters were roaring with activity. He was finally doing what he wanted to do with his life. He got a room with some other fledgling actors. It didn't take him long to figure out that the lifestyle that had looked so glamorous from afar was a life of deceit, dishonesty, immorality, disease, and loneliness. He still hungered to enjoy all the exciting things that his college roommate had told him about, but he decided he wasn't going to find it as an actor in New York. He left New York. The trip back home to Massachusetts was a long one with a lot of thinking knowing he didn't like what he found in New York, but still wanting to enjoy the exciting life that he'd been chasing. And all the while, the words of his parents were still ringing in his ears, find God's purpose for your life. He was still a day or two away from home when he stopped into an inn to get a room. He was exhausted. The innkeeper said, sorry, son, I only have one room left, and it's right next to a young man who's very sick. He's making a lot of noise, moaning and groaning, and the walls are very thin. Adoniram said, that's all right, sir. I'm so tired. He can't keep me awake. I'll take the room, please. Adoniram went to his room. He climbed into bed. And sure enough, the noise from the man in the next room was horrendous. The man was in intense pain, and he was cursing God, screaming and groaning all night. And what Adoniram was hearing was more than just physical pain. He was hearing a man in torment of soul. It did more than just keep him awake. It haunted him for the next few hours. And finally, Adoniram managed to fall off to sleep. In the morning, he awoke. All was quiet. Adoniram got up, he packed his things, and he checked out of the inn. On his way out, he said to the clerk, How'd that fellow in the room next to me make out last night? Clerk said, Oh, son, he died. He died a horrible death. And at such a young age, he destroyed his life with partying and loose living. Adoniram said, Well, that's a shame. You know the fellow's name? The clerk answered with the name of Adoniram's college roommate. The same young man whose advice had gotten Adoniram so stirred up to investigate all the pleasures of the world, Adoniram had unknowingly witnessed his tragic, painful death. Had such a powerful impact on his thinking as he completed his journey back home that soon he found himself saying, God, forget what I want. I want to do what you want. Adoniram Judson became a disciple of Jesus Christ. He went to Burma as a missionary, as the very first missionary sent out from American soil. 
I have missionary friends in India who tell me that to this day, 200 years later, some of the most dedicated missionaries in India are those who were saved and trained in the churches founded by Adoniram Judson and the people he trained. Adoniram Judson became a disciple of Jesus Christ when he surrendered his will, his dreams, his goals, his ambitions for God's will. The first step to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is surrender. God, where are you going? I want to go with you. If any man will come after me, Jesus said. The second ingredient of discipleship is sacrifice. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Self-denial, sacrifice, death to self. Discipleship is going to cost you something, and the more serious you are about being a disciple, the higher the price will be. The more you understand the principles of the Bible, the reality of eternity, the value of the kingdom of God, the need to get the gospel to a lost, dying world, and most importantly, the tremendous opportunity you have to have a closer relationship with God. The more you understand these things, the more you begin to see that you must let go of some things in order to enjoy all that God has to offer you. You're aware that our pilgrim forefathers came to America in the early 1600s to escape the religious oppression of England. Well, a Baptist pastor named John Bunyan stayed in England and served God there while the pilgrims were settling here in Plymouth. The state passed a law in England that every church must obtain a government license in order to continue to operate. Now, any thinking person can see the implications that come with the government issuing licenses to churches, giving them permission to operate. John Bunyan certainly understood how wrong that was. So while many churches complied and took a government license, John Bunyan said, no, as a matter of faith and principle, I will not. Soon he was visited by a government official who said, Mr. Bunyan, do you understand that breaking this law is punishable by jail? Now, we don't want to send you to jail, but it's not necessary anyway because we're more than happy to give you a license. John Bunyan refused, so they arrested him and locked him up in the Bedford jail. They placed a copy of the license on the floor in front of the jail cell so that the moment he picked it up, he'd be released from jail. John Bunyan said to the man who guarded his cell, Sir, if you see me get delirious and reach for that license, would you please draw your sword and cut off my hand? That license laid there for so long that it was eaten by the rats. So another copy of the license was put in its place. Several additional copies were eaten and had to be replaced. The authorities went to Mrs. Bunyan. They said, would you please convince your husband to take that license? We won't let him go. Mrs. Bunyan lifted up the corners of her apron and said, I'd rather see my husband's head severed from his body lying in my apron, than for him to hear me ask him to violate his convictions. During his time in the Bedford jail, John Bunyan's daughter died of disease. He was not there to tell her goodbye. During his time in jail, the church he had pastored closed its doors. All of the other churches in the area had taken licenses. None of Mr. Bunyan's friends or colleagues agreed with his position. But he sat in the Bedford jail for 12 years. John Bunyan was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And his principles demanded of him that he pay a price. 
As John Bunyan sat in that cell, he took the little pieces of cloth that came with his daily food ration, and he scratched on those pieces of cloth the words of an allegory that had come into his mind. That allegory was later entitled, The Pilgrim's Progress. In the opening lines of that classic book, John Bunyan asks the question, Christian, have you counted the cost? In an age where most Christians' definition of discipleship does not include sacrifice, we can't even comprehend why John Bunyan's principles would demand that he spend 12 years of his life in jail. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And then he said, and take up his cross. This refers, of course, to the fact that Jesus would suffer on the cross to pay for the sins of the world so that we might live forever. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you must be willing to suffer so that others might live. The third requirement of discipleship in this verse is suffering. A disciple must be willing to suffer for his God. In the town of Haddam, Connecticut in 1718, a man named David Brainerd was born. As a young man, he was licensed to preach right here in Danbury. And then he rode off on his mule, taking the gospel all over Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. His primary focus became the American Indians, who, of course, didn't worship the God of the Bible. David Brainerd risked his life, and he lived a life of great illness and suffering as he rode from Indian tribe to Indian tribe, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, winning Native Americans to the Savior. David Brainerd only lived to be 29 years old. His autobiography, The Diary of David Brainerd, has been a great inspiration to millions of Christians, especially missionaries, for the last 250 years. It's still in print, easily obtainable online. David Brainerd was a disciple of Jesus Christ, as you'll clearly see as you read his diary. And his life was characterized by suffering. Now, there's a fourth requirement of discipleship found in Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Follow Jesus. Obviously, it's not talking about stumbling along behind Jesus. It's talking about serving Jesus. The fourth requirement of a disciple is service. Serving. Can you be a servant? You know, a servant has no identity. A servant gets no respect. A servant gets no recognition. A servant certainly doesn't get wealthy. A servant has no agenda but to serve. That's what a disciple is, a servant. If you've never heard this name before, you're going to think it's a stage name, but it's not. It's a lady's real name, the name Candy Christmas. Candy Christmas was born into the southern gospel music industry. She has an amazing voice, and her family, the Hemphills, is one of the all-time legendary southern gospel music groups. Candy Hemphill recorded songs that you've heard of, like He's Still Working On Me to Make Me What I Ought to Be. Her dad wrote that song. She made it famous. An amazing talent, amazing voice. But as an adult, Candy Christmas, Christmas is her married name, Candy Christmas wanted to do more than just perform. She wanted to serve God. She wanted to be a servant. One day she was battling depression. Her friend said, hey, if you want to help somebody, there's a handful of homeless people who hang out under the Jefferson Street Bridge. This is Nashville, Tennessee. Her friend said, maybe you could go and feed them. 
Candy did. She made them a meal. She drove it down there in her minivan. And out of the back of her van, she fed about seven homeless people, total strangers. The next week, she did it again, fed them a hot meal. Then she did it again and again. Now, years later, Candy Christmas has what's called the bridge ministry. And every Tuesday night, she feeds, get this, between 350 and 500 people under that same bridge. They eat and sing and preach. She shares the love of Jesus Christ with them. You ought to search it online. They have their own websites. One of the most amazing ministries you'll ever see. It's changing lives, helping some people get off the streets, and feeding many others who live on the street, giving them clothes, coats, tents, sleeping bags, helping people find their way, showing them the love of Jesus Christ. She's a servant. She's a disciple. Being a famous gospel singer didn't make her a disciple, but being a servant did. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what it takes to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Submission, sacrifice, suffering, and serving. It's not easy. It's a wild ride, but it's worth it. If you want to be a disciple, you'll spend the rest of your life doing it. But you can become a believer in an instant. You can become a believer right now. And you can't ever be a disciple until you first become a believer. Do you want to become a believer? Can you admit that you've sinned against God? Do you understand that sinning against God means that you face eternal condemnation? Do you understand that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later, that he took all of your condemnation for you? Are you ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? If those were all yeses, then go ahead and tell God for yourself. Tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me for my sins. I'm receiving you as my Savior. Come into my heart and save my soul. Thank you for saving me. Please help me to live like a Christian. Amen. If you made that decision, then God promises that you are now a believer. Your sins are forgiven, and you now have everlasting life. Congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. I'm so glad you joined us today, friend. I hope God's word helped you. Have a great week. The people of Northeast Baptist Church, thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you enjoyed the Forgiven broadcast. If you would like to share your thoughts about the program, you can call us at 203-798-7088. Northeast Baptist Church is an independent Baptist church located at 101 East Pembroke Road in Danbury. We invite you to worship with us at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Our worship service won't remind you of a funeral, and it won't remind you of a rock concert. It's just a little bit of heaven on earth. We'll see you again next Sunday morning at 7. God bless you. Have a great week. I am the child I stand here forgiven. My sins have been cast in the